0: Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast brought to you by Lighthouse Educator Development. My name is Kyle Krieger and I'm here tonight with Wilkie Law and one of our board members, Ben Skagen. Ben, say hi. Hello, audience. Now, uh, Ben is going to, we're going to start off by having Ben just talk a little bit about uh, himself so you can get to know him and how he's involved with our uh, nonprofit.
1: All right. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen or whatever time of day you're watching right now, or listening, rather. Uh, I'm a good friend of Law and Kyle's, and uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, Kyle asked me to join the board just because of how I fell in line with the the mission and the goals that they have here with LED. Uh, just to give you a little bio on myself, I'm a, a businessman. I work up at Aon Hewitt right here in Texas, just up the road from... Spring, where LED is currently housed. I'm also a uh, lieutenant in our Marine Corps Reserves. Another little side job. Not a huge time taker, but something I'm very passionate about. And then I kind of dabble in a few little odds and ends here and there just to help keep myself occupied. Uh, does that satisfy no, what we're looking for that's, as far as a bio? That's
0: perfect. Absolutely. Cool. I, I met Ben going on five years ago. Uh, he was coaching at the CrossFit gym that I started at and just developed a very natural relationship, and he's helping both Law and I uh, get towards our fitness goals. So, Law, why don't you go ahead and say hi this evening?
2: Hey, what's going on, everybody?
0: All right. Uh, Let's start out with, um, we got a new segment we're we're starting with this podcast. It's called Clear the Air. So, before the podcast starts, we want to make sure that nothing's on our mind that is going to get in the way of us delivering uh, value to teachers. So... Law, I'm going to send this one over to you for the first uh, installment of Clear the Air.
2: All right, Clear the Air. Let me just say, um, for the last two weeks, I've been on a car search. You guys know I've been looking for a new car since my car went down. And it's something about the industry of automotives that I think you really need to take a strong, hard look at. Um, From going to different car lots to car lots, it doesn't matter how big or how small. Uh, I like to go in with knowing my buying pot. So I secured my financing before I got to the car lot because I wanted to base it off of my, what I could afford monthly versus what you think you can try to put me in and make it work. And as I go into the lot, and I'm gonna go ahead and put him on blast because I've already emailed the manager um, uh, at um, Toyota of Humble. And this guy who sells, who's trying to sell us, we walk out and I was like, hey, this is what my buying power is. I said, this is what I'm looking for. He said, well, this is the only car I have on the lot that fits your scenario. I said, well, I'm not interested in it. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. He said, no, wait, what do you mean? You need a car, right? I was like, yeah, that's a car. My wife was stunned. I was stunned. And we just kind of looked at each other. It's a car. No, even if it was a car and that's all I could get, I would never buy anything for someone who, would treat a customer like that, and so it just kind of at that point got got me into thinking. I told my wife, I said, you know, what what is it about their training program that they feel like that's okay to say that to a customer? Because where I'm from, customer service says customers always right.
1: Hmm.
2: I mean, am I, am I missing something in that, or is that? I mean that's what I've always been taught Was there something always, right? wrong
1: with the training program or was there sort a of lack of a training program or altogether or so, throw them out um, on the battlefield and see how they do
2: I was really excited that, that I did hear back from the management team after I sent the email and the manager was very apologetic mm-hmm. uh, and said that he would make sure that they take immediate actions after but to me it just doesn't make any sense that if you're going to if you're going to service people and, and this goes for teachers as well so I mean, it's a good segue into it that you have to realize that as teachers, our customers are students. We're not fortunate enough to get to see them like some every week at the grocery store or once a month in the mall or maybe once every five to six years at a car lot. We see them every single day. So what is your customer service saying about you as a person, number one, and how, you, how does it reflect on your customers? Because your customers are going to tell your story. You know, as we've been looking for cars, I look at them yell and I look at all reviews that people say about, not about the cars, mm-hmm. about the people selling the cars. You know, in terms like, I felt nasty. I felt like I had been used. I felt like I was, you know, I felt dirty after talking with them. Because, you know, it's like you get this image of this, this sleazy uh, 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 car salesman coming out with the, you know, cologne and smoke smell with the shirt and mm-hmm. down. And you just come out just like, hey, you know, I'll sell you anything. Yeah, it may be a Tahoe that's for $200, but it has a go-kart engine in it, you know? That, that's not what I'm looking for. So, yeah. I just think that, for me, that was like the hell kind of a crush this whole week, just of, of looking at how people attribute what they want over what somebody else wants. You know, I want to sell, so I'm just going to do whatever it takes to sell you. No, don't sell me. Mm-hmm. Partner with me And that's what I told my wife That's why I went with my The credit union I see they've already partnered with us So let me go back to them I don't need to go everywhere else I already have a partnership with them Immediately Very helpful Got you taking care of Mr. Law Let's go do it And it's about building I told my wife I, say, I will only do business with people Who are willing to be partners I don't want you to sell me anything I want you to partner with me
1: mm-hmm. You want a long term relationship Exactly There's accountability there
2: it, it, and it, and it goes to show in this generation that we're in now, there is that that that's far and few between. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody wants the next big thing. I don't care what it is. I've been faithful to Sprint for almost 12 years. So when we have a problem with our phone, I put that out there. Look, we've been with you guys for over 12 years. We haven't gone when we could have. We haven't gone when we should have. We've stayed with you even though your rates are not as competitive as other people. We've stayed with you. That should speak volumes. You know, and I think that when you do that, that's why I'm with galaxy, and I haven't gone over to Apple. You know, even though the iPhones have some great, you know, bells
1: and whistles, mm. I stay faithful to my galaxy. I, I, it hasn't burned up on me. And even, it so. can double as a fire starter. <laughs> and just shake it up a couple of times, and when that thing explodes, uh, you can stay warm at night. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben, you want to clear the air on anything? Oh. There's a there's a lot. There's a lot to be cleared, so I'm not going to go too deep. Uh Kinda of getting the theme for what you guys are aiming for here. Uh whole lot on the plate lately between trying to become a firefighter, or a volunteer firefighter, and you know, participating in upcoming training events and things like that with the Marine Corps and then having a civilian job, you know, each 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 unit or each group or each job that I'm with has the same uh, perspective that that you're one hundred percent focus solely on that. Um, so sometimes, uh, and I'll kind of just cap it off with this. Um, uh, I, I have to step back, take a deep breath and, and really try to, I guess, clear the air if you would in each moment to make sure that I'm giving each area the, the attention it deserves. As well, it's easy for me to step back and go, well, you get 25% and you get 25% and you get 25% and you get 25% every hour of the day. It's just not realistic for everything. So if I'm you know, at my job and somebody throws a report at my desk and they have X expectation and I look at them and I go, okay, well, I can only give 25% of myself to this. So that hour deadline is now going to be four hours from now. I can't do that. I can't look at my boss and go, thanks. Uh, but I'll do it when it feels good for me. So, uh, whether it be day to day life or even right now, you know, there's a lot of things on my mind. Got to take a deep breath, zone in, make sure that the the moment
0: right now is what's being focused on. So, kind of,
1: am I hitting it, the target or, there? It, it's I, whatever the you want to clear the shot? air.
0: Uh, right. I'm gonna clear the air on the majority of what I did this weekend. I spent probably 10 hours this weekend watching the Masters tournament. Um, I was really pulling for Ricky Fowler. He did not play well today, but I got to say, it was a great tournament. It went into a playoff, and I was happy to see Sergio Garcia win after so many years and so many tries. So that was really awesome. So that's clearing the air. So next, we're going to go into our connect card. And this was one that Ben picked, so wow. we'll, okay. we'll let, pick you, pick let you start. I picked up
1: a 52-card pickup off the floor. Yeah. I just want to make yeah. that clear.
0: That's I dropped the cards, and this is the one he picked up. I believe up.
1: the term is blindsided. Is that is that a problem? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. okay. Okay,
0: so starting with you, Ben, what things hold you back from doing what you really want to do?
1: I think what I just said, pretty much it. It's trying to pile on, you know, I... Unlike like the kid that you see at a buffet who's trying to grab like one of everything, and by the time they reach the end of the line, their plate is overflowing, and they don't even have a stomach big enough to eat what's on their plate, just to put it in real simple terms. I still have that mentality as an adult, and I have to kind of step back and think, what matters the most? And if it does matter, what do I need to kind of cut off? Because all these things are cool and fun and interesting and exciting, but are they what really matters? So really having too much on my plate is what holds me back from doing what I really want to do.
0: I'll go ahead and go next. Um, I think mine's in, in line with that, but uh, the thing that probably holds me back the most from doing what I really want to do is I have a hard time seeing the next step because I'm so focused on the big goal. I have a hard time prioritizing and structuring steps to, to get tasks done. I really have to, um, and it's not something I like to do. and, And Ben and I were having a conversation about this over the weekend about whether I'm choosing to do things I'm good at or whether I'm copping out of things I should be doing. And there's a happy medium for me of building structure in. So that way, the, the bigger plans that we have, I'm always working towards that. Cause my, my biggest thing is I'll, I'll do things to keep myself busy, but they're not necessarily the number one priority that gets us moving down the road.
2: Um, it's going to be my, I guess, um, and I'll go ahead and put it out there, my resolution, which was start out this year, was commitment. I think that's the one thing that, that gets me. Um, I think I'm doing better this year than I have, but I know that my level of commitment, when I put my mind to stuff, it gets done. Um, When I think that I can accomplish something, if I think it's a menial task, minimal task that I can get done quickly, I usually put it on the back burner instead of just knocking it out. So it's just making sure that I commit to it, finish it, and then move on instead of just trying to uh, do a whole lot then and getting really nothing done. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one thing that holds me back the most is just committing to it and you know yeah I guess that's
1: about it now. I feel like we just all kind of hit the same note there with doing too <laughs> just, much yeah cool cause it's fun too if you put a lot of like little wickets that you know you can accomplish it gives you that, that feeling of satisfaction mm-hmm. every day I've gotten a little bit done was it even related to my goal I feel great cause I accomplished something but does it really improve me for the
0: long term does it really right. help yeah. with what I'm trying to get to in the long term Going going out and mowing the grass is not getting us closer <laughs> to uh, getting kids to kind of teach well, us. Don't the don't, don't
1: don't cop out on that one. No, no I don't wanna not. I don't wanna walk home through a jungle one day yeah. with a machete just trying to get to the front door.
2: Right, but I think also it kinda speaks to education as a whole, because it's kind of that piling mentality in education that and even though People may not realize that that we're creating a generation, and the system has created generations of students with that mindset. Instead of starting here, finishing, it's, okay, start here, now go over here, now start here, now go over here, now start here, go over here. Okay, now we're going to double back and come over here and do this and do this. Versus, okay, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Let's just accomplish what needs to be done. And I love... You know, being around you, man, because you, you, you bring that, that, that aspect of military operations in. And it, 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 I always said I'm a military-minded, and if I could have gone, I would have been on the Marine Corps. I would have been a corpsman, without, well. without a doubt. Without a <laughs> doubt. That, that's where I was headed. And, and I think that that, that that operations mindset where it's like, okay, what do we need to do now? Let's do it. Okay, once it's done, okay, now let's move to the next thing. Don't move to the next thing until you've accomplished one. And I think that we, we, we've kind of created generation after generation after generation of people, and we call it multitasking. It's really not. It's procrastination. Let's be honest. It's, 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 it's a glorified sense of procrastination. And mm-hmm. I think we just have to really call it for what it is so that we can actually fix it.
0: Mm-hmm. And, we're, and and that's kind of the main focus of the podcast is talking about the relationship the three of us have and the accountability that it brings. But one more thing before we get back to that, Ben. Do you have a book recommendation that you think everybody oh. should read?
1: Oh, I'm getting blindsided all <laughs> over the place. Uh, hey, A book recommendation that I think everyone should read. Huh. Mm. Let me... Hold on. I have something I I looked up. Let's let's keep talking. Let's keep thinking if we need to edit out some blank space right now I'm having trouble thinking of the title. I'm gonna pull it up
0: Ben's looking uh, on his audible Currently, so we're like... No, no, not my up.
1: Audible. This is something I actually read with my eyeballs. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs>
0: nice.
1: Uh. Yeah, I actually <laughs> read it on a paper book. Uh. Wow, <laughs>
0: like throwing it way back. <laughs> not even they still make
2: those? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I, tell, I love my Audible, but it's nothing like turning pages. It's something about it that when you can highlight it, you know, instead of bookmarking it and having to go back through. It's just something about that. You can write all over the pages and Yep. I love the convenience about it, but I mean, it is.
1: Yeah. And like if you're going on a trip or if you're like uh, when when we were getting a little brick uh, brick quick little shotgun blast class on how to like live on a Mew, basically living on a ship with the navy. Like you can't bring a library of paperback books with you. So they were that like things like that, they would hand out Kindles. To the guys. So now you've got something that can have a thousand books on there. Obviously everyone's going to have their own reading level. Somebody might take a week to read a book and there's a kid over here that's reading a book in ten minutes. You know, <laughs> maybe not that fast, I hope not, he's probably not absorbing too much. But there's there's a place for everything and then sometimes it's nice to take a step back and get a piece of paper in your hands. Absolutely. So, um, so the name of the book, it's by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, Captain of mine that was um, he was my staff platoon commander uh, when I was going through one of my courses he had us read a few um, are you both writing this down right now? I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, a, I gotta make sure I, I, make sure it I right link now. it
0: up so that way people can go right to Amazon and buy it
1: oh okay nice Okay, um, but he he had us read a lot of books from military strategy and uh, from past and current leaders, and, and he had us read this. Uh, is it on your Audible? It's uh, on. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, it, I like the book just because, well, for, for this particular captain that suggested it, it kind of surprised me. But the biggest thing they gave me was uh, it kind of changed my way of viewing leadership. Uh, to be that of influence instead of Iron Fist. It doesn't matter where you are, but to focus on um, am I going to bark orders at everyone and have them listen to me because I'm in charge, that's just the way it's going to be, or am I going to try to lead through influence? And there's there's a happy balance because I've seen individuals, especially recently, that use leadership by influence to not take ownership of things, right? And then I also see folks who just don't care about influence. They don't care how their people view them and how they see them. And so instead they just roll with an iron fist. I think I've said that four or five times now. Yeah. That's gonna be my turn for the night, iron fist. Yeah. I might have been watching too much
0: Netflix. For- <laughs> yeah. That's a good that's a good show though. It is. But uh, you know, to your point, it's it's such a it's such a good um, comparison to what so many classrooms are, and I really like it. I know he he and I kind of had a moment when you said the word influence, because that's really what we believe a teacher needs to do. That's what they need to do to be successful. Um, and even in this mo- like in this modern age, like these kids are not going to listen to authority anymore. They're they're not. especially in the teaching field the teacher is no longer a a position of authority there are certain teachers that use authority and there are principals that use authority but it's not authority in the sense where you are seen as like this this beacon that is the information provider because the kids Mm -hmm. can get
2: but it's not just teachers and school leaders it's any adult the adult the, the there's such a big breakdown in parental roles and amongst children, that the adults are not viewed as authority. I remember growing up, if we were doing something wrong and we saw an adult, immediately we stopped, dropped our rocks, and put our hands in our pockets. You know, that was just kind of the mindset, there's an adult coming, you stop doing whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. You've got to respect them. These kids nowadays can see a whole team of adults coming, and dare you to get a, get out of the way.
1: That's when you know you've crossed an age threshold when you say these kids nowadays. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you about these kids nowadays.
2: Get off my grass. Get off my grass. But no, I mean, I think that's the, I think our society, we have, we've tried to become friends to kids instead of parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that has trickled down to where now they have no respect for anyone else
1: it's easier to be a buddy than it is to be the authority figure because there's going to be times and like for me being a uh, younger fella it's got to be in a leadership position right sometimes I I, I want to be everybody's friend most folks do right but you have to realize that sometimes the the health and welfare the well-being of the people that you're leading whether it be in a classroom or business wherever you are you you have to make hard a hard call that might be upsetting for them because it's making them do, say, do a task that they don't want to do. Study for a test that they don't want to study for. But in the long run, it's going to be more beneficial for them. It might not impact you whatsoever. So you can be a buddy, and they can fail that test. You can be a buddy, and they might not turn that assignment in at work. Or you can be a more figure of authority, and you can tell them you... Here's your study plan for this test. I want to see it next week. Here is the timeline for you to create this project. I need an update every week until we get the, the assignment done by the end of the month. The more the figure of authority is not going to be liked as much. They're going to, depending on how you lead, you can be respected. So putting in that. Pers- from that perspective, would you rather be perspective, or would you rather be a buddy? Would you rather be looked up to as a respected authority, or would you rather be like lateral buddy? Right. Hey, bro, I know you're my manager. I know that you're my teacher, but I feel like I can. I've have seen some some messed up things. I've seen teachers getting cursed out in class. Mm-hmm. I've seen teachers get slapped in the face by students. Mm-hmm. There's no authority there anymore. Once you cross that threshold. What,
2: And once kids view all adults, if they view their parent as their buddy, then you become, hey, bro, hey, bro, bro, why are you doing this to me? First off, I'm not your bro. Mm -hmm. And I tell kids all the time, it is inappropriate for me, a grown man, to have 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old friends. Yeah. That will hit me in in, the evening news, having (laughs) that kind of friends. I mean...
0: And it has in our yeah. area several a- times the last couple of years. Oh yeah.
2: mm-hmm. and it happens a lot more frequently than we than we, than, than actually. Well, yeah, case.
0: and then it comes back to that same thing where the line's not just blurred for kids; it's blurred for adults. Mm-hmm. And and I think you know to your point on influence and perspective, and I think this brings it around to why. You know, you're know you on our board and why this relationship is so valuable to us that we want you to be a part of what we're doing is with influence, you set expectations and there is accountability. That word. So there's, there is accountability when you give me a workout or you give Law a workout, there is the, the accountability, the expectation that we will go out and we'll execute that workout to the best of our ability.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'll tell you the funny thing about accountability is that when you send the workout, and then we get together, if I had not done the workout, and we're having a conversation about the workout, you know, I need mean, to do this. You didn't do this. There's absolutely no way. Or when, when you're saying, hey, that's why, you know, when you send the workouts to me, I'm like, okay, I mean, I know how to do it. Let me go to YouTube. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not here. I'm at the gym. So I'm like, okay, I'm not working out with him. I don't want to call him at 8 o'clock at night and say, hey, tell YouTube, And I'll watch somebody, okay, I can do this.
1: You can couple, call me at 8 o'clock at night. I love talking about that kind of stuff. So. And
2: a couple of times I think I told you, I was like, you know, I think I did the exercise wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not how I did it. I did something totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think when you when you have that sense of accountability, it's like, okay, we're in this together. I'm going to make sure you accomplish your goals. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to charge you up when you're not. And it's not about, hey, you better do this. It's like, hey, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And that's a difference between you know, holding people accountable and trying to bully them
0: to get them to do things. Oh yeah, and and I think that, and it's another thing that you and I talk about is there's a very there's a comfort level with that accountability that we can have difficult conversations.
2: We can just say anything. We, we can we, <laughs> we, we we
0: say anything just about, it. and yeah. but the thing about it is, I need that in my life. Everybody needs that, and you have to have someone that is able to not just say what you need to hear, but to really tell you what their perspective, and to bring perspective is. (laughs) It's great for us as teachers, or for me especially, to be able to ask you questions, Ben, because you don't have that same perspective that that Law and I have of having been in the classroom. So you approach it from your different perspective, and whether it's, you know, I I was writing something a couple weeks ago, and I gave it to you, And I use some terms that are pretty common for educators, but you stopped me and you were like, "Hey, if someone that's not necessarily an educator reads this, they're not going to understand this term. You got to make sure that that the things you write and the things you say are things that are commonly accepted to everyone. You can't ever universal terminology. Yeah, you can't ever make assumptions that people have baseline knowledge. And and I find that so valuable. And what we want to do continuing is to kind of unpack how that relationship works because teachers need that kind of relationship. Because when you're in a spot where there are so many authority figures who are trying to rule with an iron fist and say, this is what we're going to do, this is what you're going to do, and then that trickles down to kids, it's really important that you build a team around you that you know, like, hey.
1: And just so that I'm picking up what are putting down, so that the audience is clear on what are talking about, there's... Two different groups that are being distinguished here when we're talking about relationships. There is, let's say, the group that we have here, the three of us, as a peer group. And then the other relationship that you're just mentioning now is the relationship between a teacher and their students, which are different. The things that we can talk about are not the same things that I would talk about with a student, right? If right. I was an educator, right? Or a leader, right? So the, the things that we can discuss, these, you know, very, at times, blunt conversations.
0: Right are, are a little bit different than what we would do with a student. But I think it comes back to your point that you were making that you can't be so friendly that that you can't have that because you as a teacher you're gonna have to have those conversations mm-hmm. right at some point. And I don't think having influence or setting expectations means that you're always a friend and you're always or you're always an authoritarian. I being friendly and being a kid's friend are not the same thing.
2: No. Yeah. Absolutely not. Like, I had a,
1: oh, go ahead. No. Oh, okay, oh, wait. Oh, oh, oh. All right, so, just as an example, right, to kind of paint a picture here, I had a Spanish teacher when I was in high school. Now, when I was in high school, I didn't care about school. I thought I was gonna be a professional fighter. Well, that didn't turn out too well, so I didn't put any effort into school, right? My Spanish teacher Called up my parents. No one ever called my parents from this school. Called up my parents and said, your son is failing my class. He probably won't graduate from high school, depending on how he's doing in his other classes. If he fails this, it's a graduation requirement. So, parents weren't too happy about that, obviously. They didn't want me to be a a five-year high school student. So, go home, get chewed out a little bit about that. So now I'm upset, and I'm upset with the teacher man, the teacher ratted me out, right? Obviously, that's not something that a bro would do, right? It's something that a figure of authority would do. That's someone that once you to succeed would do. Because if she didn't care, she wouldn't have done anything. Absolutely. So I go back to school the next day, class is over. She calls me up to the front of the room as everyone's leaving. She pulls me aside and says, hey, listen, I'm not here to chew you up. I'm not here to get you in trouble. I'm not here to ruin your life. But I also don't want to see you in summer school or having to do another year here. So whatever we have to do, let's make sure we do it. I will help you out. I will stay late. I will do what we need to do to make sure that this happens. Now at the time, of course, I was only seeing life through my own eyes. I couldn't see from anyone else's angle. So I was like, yeah, sure, okay. Had a little temper tantrum, stomped out of the room and went about my crabby day. Now, nine, ten years later, I feel a little bit old after saying that, but <laughs> nine to ten years later, I can look back and say, like, wow, I, I can view that situation and say, if she didn't care, she would have just let me fail. Right. Because the odds of her having to deal with me again, I would have been thrown in somebody else's class, somebody else's summer school class, or if I failed enough classes, I would have just been thrown into another year in somebody else's classes. Now. Okay. So
2: on that note, I just want—I mean—want to take a quick break here on that because you mentioned that teacher, and I know that's one question we usually always ask, yeah. and, and 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 we always ask people. So thinking back over your, let's say your K twelve experience mm-hmm. in school, name one teacher that had the greatest impact on you as for who you are right now.
1: Okay. Now, we went solely with inside the school system, because I had people that educa- educated me in other ways, outside of school. Your K-12 experience. K-12, okay. People were getting paid to do this. I didn't really get paid. Okay, okay, okay. I'll focus. Um, so, Mr. Woods, I had to take an art class. The only art class that was left was graphic arts. We learned how to screen print. We learned how to use a printing press. We learned how to make stamps. Okay. Yeah. Uh, not a class that a lot of people signed up for. I didn't have any options. I needed it to graduate. Uh, my interaction with him that year, and all of our interaction with him, he, uh, unfortunately, he was very easy for your student to kind of push around. Now, would he just stand there and take it? No. He would say something back. But he was a little bit soft-spoken, I guess you could say. Uh, but He was dedicated. He had a family, and he didn't make a whole lot of money. Uh, And I recognized that. My first semester in that graphic arts class. So I signed up for his first photography class the next semester. And what I saw from there was someone who wasn't getting enough funding from the school to have enough cameras and film, because we learned how to use a, a darkroom, and we learned how to go through the traditional photography process. And a lot of that funding came from his own pocket. I'm talking to a guy who had a family and kids, who invested from his own personal income back into the program. And he would take the time to have conversations. And every once in a while, when he would hear all the students flapping their jibs about you know, whatever little worries they had in their lives, it seemed so grand at that point in time, he would every once in a while interject. And one of the biggest things he brought up one day was uh, perspective. And he talked about his father. And he said every once in a while his father would be in a room with a bunch of like-minded people all arguing from the same point. So there's really not an argument at all. And his father would step in and provide an opposing point of view. He might not 100% support that opposing point of view, And to this day, I I don't necessarily find myself doing that ever because, I mean, I I really don't want to step into an argument that I'm not too sure why I'm arguing. But he said his father would provide this opposing point of view to provide a a counter to all the people thinking from the same worldview, to provide a different perspective. Because maybe that person with that different perspective isn't in that room right now, but you need to have that challenging thought that challenging point of view. And ideally you can come up with it from your own mind, through experience, through enough interactions with other people. You can come up with it from within yourself and recognize that your point of view is not the only one out there. So it was amazing how a class, or a class is learning how to take photos and make t-shirts turning a couple solid life lessons along the way. And life lessons that I don't think he ever really thought stuck with anyone,
2: but he kept trying. And, and, and to that, right now you're not using a dark room. You're, you're, you're not doing screen printing or press, print pressing, but the lessons that he taught you. You're still living in those principles and walking up principles. And, and I want to give a big shout out to Mr. Woods because we need more teachers like that. And you know it's interesting because we always ask people that question, and it's always not the non-academic skills that teachers bring to the table that are the lasting ones. But teachers are always only judged by the academic that they bring. And I think to hear coming from a totally different perspective that it's not just the academic. Mr. Woods,
1: where, when you were living, Where were you in Jersey? Look, <laughs> <laughs> live, live, never had to live, live in New Jersey. Sorry, no, if there's I'm someone sorry, from New right. Jersey <laughs> listening. Uh, new Hampshire. New Hampshire. New yep, yep, yep. it was New York. Yeah. New, 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 New York? New yeah. new, new York. New Haven.
0: Well, before uh, Law and I continue, we got to let Ben go. He's got to get on a call uh, with his... Uh, just a call. Ju- just just he's going to gonna be on a call... I'm uh, not going to specify what it is, but Ben, we appreciate your time, and mm-hmm. we we promise you that it will not be the uh, the last time you hear from Mr. Ben. So uh, yeah, this was fun. Appreciate I like doing it, this. Man. Absolutely, uh, a
1: conversation
0: that was productive. I'm Absolutely, I'll be glad to come on again. All right, we'll catch you later on. All right. Okay. So now continuing off of the conversation we were having on um, perspective, so. We're going to talk about Ben a little bit now that he's gone. Um, and I hope you can hear just from the conversation that he has, the type of person he is. And number one, that that's the number one reason why he's a part of our organization is because he's a top-flight, top-notch person. Absolutely. Um, you know, he really undersold himself in terms of what he does and, and the things he does. But at his heart, he's a teacher. Um. He, he's willing to teach anyone anything, uh, especially when he's got a skill. And he, and he does it so often for little to no compensation or gain other than other than just the joy. So uh, we want to brag on him a little bit and, and what he brings because uh, that perspective is really valuable to give us the opportunity to see things from a perspective yeah. other than our own. And, and to that point, um, I just started a book uh, – by Chris Emden it's called uh for white folks who teach in the hood and for everyone else too um and it's really even just in the first little bit of it it's really changed my perspective on you know um understanding how we need to approach especially uh urban uh african-american latino asian students um and, and what they're going through. So, in terms of perspective, you know, what, what's the value of of trying to, like Ben said, see, see. Let's just take our kids from a different perspective.
2: Well, I mean, I think you know, I love looking at words and the meaning, and when you look at the word perspective, it means basically a particular way of viewing things that depends on a person's experience and their personality. Um and it also says it's the ability to consider things in relation to another accurately and fairly. So when you're talking about teachers relating to their students and getting at the students' perspective of the way of looking at things, I think we it, it is it is paramount that I don't have to walk a mile in your shoes for me to see what your struggles are in your mile. You know, I don't I don't have to I mean I mean, I'm not going to say fortunately, but for me, I, I have that urban background. I grew up in Cashmere Gardens. You know, I, I knew what it was like to, to be that, what do we call latchkey kid that went home by themselves without a parent to be there. Um, I know what it was like to, you know, to live in the neighborhoods where maybe crime was a little higher than in other places. You know, um, I know what it's like to, to grow up in a single parent background. You know, I know what it's like to have games around you and, and fighting and guns and all these things. That was That was my experience. So I have a unique perspective because I've lived it. I've walked it and I've survived. You know, and, but for teachers who haven't, you don't have to go immerse yourself in there. Immerse yourself in your students. Give your students the opportunity to talk about what they deal with when they go home. Have an opportunity, give them the freedom to express what their desires and aspirations are beyond trying to pass a test or, or be, be successful in school. Because I think when, you, when you, as a teacher, when you open yourself up to receive that from your students, they're going to give it to you. Then you can now say, wow, I get it now. And once you understand where a person comes from, then you can begin to put the pieces together as to how to deal with that person. If you're coming from a, a background where you're hearing yelling and screaming and fighting and guns going off, I'm not going to bring you into the classroom and my classroom is saying I'm going to yell, scream, and slap stuff up against the desk to try to get your attention because I'm not, I'm not giving you a sanctuary to where you can get away from that. And schools, even if you're in the urban, it should be almost like a utopian experience for students to come in and say, you know, I always tell kids, you can talk one way outside of you. But in here, this is an academic place of academician. The, you know, you know, go back to the hollow holes, you know, that of education. And, and, and when you teach kids that you have to be that different person, then you, you really get to start understanding that I don't care what you see, here this is what I want to see. And I think you touched on that about those clear expectations. And, and as teachers, if you want the perspective, talk to your kids.
0: Yeah, and I th- and I think to add to your point though, you're not you're not talking about dismissing what those kids go through. Like Absolutely. like you th- it's it's not that theory of you leave your personal life at the door if you're a kid cuz if you're a teacher you can't leave your personal life Absolutely. at the door. It's it's not we don't want to give the impression that we think you have to ignore, undermine or just say um, you know, you, you're this person. Because you can't get a kid to be a completely different person. And it's, it's that point of not being able to, to leave your personal life. No matter what, your personal life, who you are, your experiences are going to follow you into a classroom, whether you're a student or a
2: teacher. And think about it. If you go, if you go to the, some of the nicer, fancier restaurants, it's cold outside, you can't leave your coat hanging on the back of your chair. They have a thing called a coat check. And when you walk in, you take your coat off, you take your hat off, and you give them your coat. They give you a number that says, this is what's going to be here when you're done. You write your name on it so that even if you forget it and get it back, they can return it to you. So it's like almost like when the kids walk into the room, This is I'm not dismissing it because you know it's yours. That's your valid experience. And you can sit at the table and talk about your coat that you checked at the door all day long, but you're not going to sit in my room and wear it. Because while you're sitting in my room, there's no need for you to wear the coat. It's not raining inside. It's not cold inside. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to check that experience at the door so that when you walk into the room, now we can have conversations about what you checked. We can talk all day long about what you checked and how differently you can make things once you get back out there. And I think that as teachers and educators, we've gotten so focused on on trying to get students to achieve, and we want them to, to push, push, push to a number We treat them as a number to reach a number so that we can get a number so we can increase the number so the school can increase the number so the state can give us a better number. But those are souls. Those are human beings. They're in that room. They're they're, they're people, individuals. They're future doctors. I think I just posted something uh, on my Instagram that says the future of the world is in my classroom today. So when you look at talking about perspective, knowing that that I have to teach them how to cope with what they're dealing with out there in here from a different perspective from what they get out there. Out there, they're going to teach them the rough and hard route. In here, I'm going to teach you how to escape that.
0: Yeah, and and I think one of the, the profound things that Chris Emden writes in his book is, you know, in terms of perspective, not giving in to the stereotypes of what students are. Absolutely. If, if, you know, a certain kid is loud and boisterous and has a lot of confidence, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a behavior problem in your class. Just the same as if a kid is a little more subdued and not as loud or vocal, that they're going to be a kid who can be taught. It was talking a lot about there's only two real categories. They're either kids that are teachable and kids that aren't. And teachers too often, especially in the urban areas, Try as best they can to classify them as one or the other, and the the kids never escape the classification. And I think that just brings us back to you know the antidote to not having a perspective is to build a relationship. Like it's hard to have the right perspective on a student or a a coworker or a friend um, when you have assumptions coming in. Because I can think of examples in my past of when I thought there were people who were super wonderful. And in those relationships, I thought they were so super wonderful that I ignored red flags. Right. That really would have said to you like, "Hey, this is this is not the type of person you want to be spending your time with." Mm-hmm. Because you've made up in your mind already that this person is the end all be all. Right. And it's the same as if you um do this with a kid. If you say that when you get to a school you judge this kid and you listen to what teachers have said prior to you that there's no way this kid could learn. And you approach that kid with that mentality you're always going to be harsh on them. You're always going to be having low expectations for them and we know that that's not the answer to helping kids achieve.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So I think this will kind of be a good Spot to end on. So, in terms of what what, especially what Ben was talking about, what, what stood out to you tonight about what Ben had said?
2: I, I wrote down a couple of things that he was talking about when he when he was referencing Mr. Woods and um, dedication and investment. Um, my pastor, uh, Doctor Doctor J Wesley Boyd, always says that. I can tell you what means most important to you, and I'm, I'm gonna try not to get choked up on this, because he says I can tell you what what means the most to you if you show me your wallet. He said, show me your bank statement, and I can tell you where you, where you where you put most of your interest. And and he said if you're if you're if you're a shopper and you like shoes, then your bank account is going to show that you invest in shoes. It's going to show if you if you like to do DIY projects, you're going to invest in, in Home Depot or Lowe's or something of that nature. And he always said that, that if it, show me where you're putting your investments and I'll show you what means the most to you. So in the selfless world, we selfish world that we live in, We invest money in the aesthetics of things and not the functionality of things. Aesthetics fades, functions don't. And I think that Mr. Woods knew that. Mr. Woods knew that. And even now, 10 years later, he has a living testimony of what his teaching meant to the students that he encountered by simply showing Not even saying you have to be dedicated. Not even saying I have to invest in this, but simply by showing it. Ben didn't say he said that he's talking dedication. He said I watched him. He didn't say he, he talked to us about the investments he's making. He says the school was underfunded, so he did this out of his own pocket. They saw him doing it. And I think that, that in this day and age where we want, we want the bling-bling, we want the accolades, but we don't want the work and the sweat equity that you got to put into it to get it. You want the title, but you don't want the work for the title. And that just, you know, yeah, that, those two words, dedication and investment, to me, I wrote them down as soon as somebody was talking because they just stood out to me. That if I could be known as anything as a teacher, I would love to be known as a dedicated teacher as a teacher that made investments in their students and their students' future that he's not even using, but the concept and the principle of dedication and investment he uses because that's what he does for us here at LED.
0: So. Yeah. And that's, that's a great way to sum it up. Uh, you know why we love Ben and why he's on our team and why he's such a valuable asset to that. So I think we will, we'll close up shop there uh, for the night, but uh Big things happening for us. We just got uh, cleared by TEA to give yes. CPE credit to teachers, so we will be uh, starting to post some flyers and Look put some out things out. Lighthouse
2: Educator Academy, a two-year mentoring program. Districts, you need to get us now before we're all booked up. I'm telling you, it, it is a need as a mentor coordinator. I know it. I see the the benefits of it as we've been working with our new teachers. I see their level of commitment, and we're gonna have one on here real soon that's gonna come and give us some perspective on on their first year experience and what they've done from working with us Uh, actually two of them that are gonna come on to the podcast and just give us a little perspective from the new teacher perspective so I'm excited Yeah. got the news on Thursday I didn't get it till Friday but when I heard it just made eh, all the difference in the world
0: so Again, we appreciate your support. Uh, If you want to know more about us, you can go to theledproject.com or like us, find us on Facebook. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Be well.